I want to pick up a passage this morning from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25, and it says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we <clears throat> may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's pray together. God, help us to have ears that hear your word. Help us to have minds that understand your word. And help us to have hearts that obey your word. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Jesus was on earth, he was never, ever, ever alone. I want to invite you to challenge me on that statement, especially if you know your Bible well. Just think about it for a minute. When Jesus was on earth, he was never, ever, ever alone. Anybody want to challenge me on that? Anyone want to tell me I'm wrong? You can. Okay? I'm not. I'm not wrong. I know that sometimes he wasn't with other people. In fact, the Bible says that. Sometimes he went off alone. But it doesn't say he was alone. Jesus was never, ever alone. Every moment of his earthly ministry was spent in community. Community either with other human beings or in the divine community of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was never alone. Why did he do that? Why is it that when he's not with other people, he is with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Why? Well, because he wanted to show his followers what it means to live in true community. He wanted to show us what a life looks like when its primary purpose is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Last week, if you were here, and if you weren't, please listen to the podcast or get the CD. Richard spoke to us about being our brother's keeper. And that part of the human purpose, and especially for followers of Jesus, is to, to be one another's keepers. To, to spend time with that fundamental deep connection that we must have because we were created to have it with God and with other human beings. We must live in deep community because we are made in the image of God and because God is, by definition, a community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our lives need to reflect that. 
Not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationships with one another. Now, now there's a problem with that. There's a very real problem. Because every single one of us, at some point, has been betrayed or hurt by somebody we love. Every single one of us, at some point, have, have opened up to another human being, and that human being has betrayed that openness. And so we have a litany of excuses to avoid this deep connection with other people. We have privacy concerns. We have trust issues. We have bad experiences. All sorts of reasons why we don't want to do it. And so it derails at least half of the purpose of our lives. One half of the purpose of our life is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength. And the other part of the purpose of our life is to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. That's what Jesus said. And so here we sit, and if we, if we allow those excuses to overwhelm us, we lose half the purpose of our lives. We need those kinds of relationships. Just like Jesus did even when he was betrayed, even when human beings that he invested his entire life in still said, I'm going to betray you. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give that part of who I am up. And we can't do that either. Why must we be each other's keepers? Because verse 23 of Hebrews 10 says that we must hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. That Jesus is the Savior of the world and that we must be in relationship with Him and we must be in relationship with our fellow human beings. That's why we have to do it. Because we were made to do it. If that's the, the why. How does that happen? How do we do it? Well, I think the best thing to do is to go back to Jesus. This passage points us back to him. It says, hold unswervingly to that hope which comes from Jesus. And so, so, so what does that look like? So this idea of accountability, honestly, has become a bit of a buzzword. Eh? It's a bit of a, like a Christian thing that we, you, know, you must be accountable to somebody. You must be account- and so it becomes a bit of a buzzword. And, and honestly, it's gotten a bit of a bad reputation. Because it seems to involve only getting involved in someone, others, someone else's life when they've done something stupid or bad, and then we go and we point it out to them, you know. And, and so we can see it, because let's face it, it's always so much easier to see another person's mistake than our own. And so this accountability idea has become this thing of we see somebody else do something wrong or bad, and we go and tell them about it if we've got the right kind of personality to do that. And, and, and it doesn't really end well. Because it's become this thing of, I'm going to fix you. Or you're going to come and fix me. Like we're some sort of cosmic referee or policeman. But you see, that's not what Jesus was doing. That wasn't what Jesus was doing. He didn't go to his disciples and spend all day, every day, pointing out their mistakes to them. He did it. He, he did do that. But that's not what he was doing with his disciples. He was doing something much better than that. Accountability is not primarily others calling you out on your sin. But it is others calling you up to the person you are in Christ. 
Don't you love that? Accountability, this kind of relationship we're talking about, isn't primarily about other people calling you out on your sin. It's about other people calling you out so that you can become who you are in Christ Jesus. It's not so much a calling to be a police officer or a, refuge, or a, or a referee, but it's a calling to be a dance partner. It's a calling to be a dance partner. Now, I know that sounds like a really weird, weird, where did you get that, John? Well, I'll tell you where I got it. I got it from the Eastern Orthodox tradition. In the Eastern Orthodox, one of the Orthodox church, one of the things they do is they, one of the ways they explain the Trinity is by using a word, word called perichoresis. Perichoresis. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's a Greek word, and it means the divine dance. That's, that's what perichoresis means. And it's an illustration of, of, the, of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in perfect, dynamic, and beautiful harmony. All of us have experienced what it looks like to see two people who are really good at dancing, dancing together. And it's just such a joy to see it. it, it who's leading? Who's following? Nobody knows. It's just happening. They are both doing exactly what they were meant to do, and everybody just looks at it and goes, that's amazing. And that's what the Eastern Orthodox say, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. Three persons in this beautiful dance together. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying to his followers, I want you to join me in that dance. I want you to come in and be part of this divine dance that, that my Father and I and the Holy Spirit have together. And please, won't you join us? So that the rest of the world can look and go, wow, this is unbelievable. So Jesus invites his disciples into the divine dance. Where God leads and we follow. And the truth is we stumble, we fall, we make mistakes, we step on God's toes. And he gently rebukes us. And he gently corrects us. And he'll say to us, not like this, but like this. And the destination isn't to fix us. But that happens. The destination is so that we become like Him. And that's what transformation is about. That's what being each other's keepers is about. Come with me on this journey. Come with us. Me and our God, our, our Lord and Savior, and let's reflect Him together to a lost and hurting world. So if that's what Jesus was doing, who was He doing it with? So you notice in that passage in Hebrews that we read, it says, Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So, so right here, the, the, the writer to Hebrews is saying something really kind of up front. Uh, and, and often, people use this word, this, this sentence, as a you have to come to church. Preachers like this passage for that reason. When 
when attendance gets a bit low, we waggle our fingers at people and say, you see this passage. It does mean that. But it means so much more. When Jesus spoke to his disciples, he wasn't just saying, hey, you must go to synagogue. He was saying you must be together in particular kinds of communities. And for Jesus, the first of those communities was, of course, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. Together in this deep and intimate community. And so whenever Jesus is stepping away from other people to be alone, he isn't. He's stepping away from other people to be in that space. To be spending time with his Father and with the Holy Spirit in a community. Now we've talked a lot about that and that's not what this sermon is about. In the, in, in, we will go back there often. But then there's another group of people that Jesus spends time with. There are this group of disciples, the apostles, 12 of them. But there's three of them in particular that Jesus spends more time with than others. Their names are Peter, James, and John. And, and you will see if you read the Gospels that there are times when Jesus goes off alone, and there's times where he says to those three, I need you three to come with me because we're going to do something. I, I need your help. I need you to be with me. He does that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He does that on the Mount of Transfiguration. These are big moments in Jesus' life, and he invites these three. And, and you know what? The hard thing about this is, I wonder what the other disciples felt like. I wonder if they were a little bit bummed. They were a bit jealous. Now, I don't wonder. They were. Because you read, you read the Bible... You see how often they grumble about who's going to be the closest to Jesus after the resurrection, or who's going to be this, who's going to be that. They were human beings. But Jesus did it anyway. Because it's so important to have that kind of relationship with other human beings. So, so important. It's fundamental to being who God wants us to be. Then there was Jesus' spiritual family. So the other apostles and the disciples, and Jesus had quite a lot of other disciples. And so Jesus often was in people's homes. He visited particular people regularly. For me, and our equivalent today is our, is our church family. You can't be deeply and intimately connected to every one of them, but you can spend time with all of them and love them and, and be purposeful together. And then lastly, there was that fourth group of people, which was the wider world. Every person that Jesus encountered, he loves them. He allows them to love him. He, he steps into their lives and he let their lives step into him. But he often walks away from that group of people. To go, I need to be with the twelve, I need to be with the four, three, I need to be with the Trinity. And so that's who it is. And I, that, what does that look like for us? The truth is, you and I need to have that small group of people. It doesn't always, it's not always the same. It could be your life group. It could be a group of friends, two or three others that you say, I, I, I want to go on a very particular journey with you. I want to do all the other stuff. I want to have the bras and you know, go to the beach and all of that stuff with you. But, but, but I want our relationship to be about, about God and not about us. About Jesus and not about our jobs. About, about 
the Holy Spirit and not about our family. All of those other things, oddly enough, not oddly enough, all of those other things become hugely important in those conversations. But they're not the place where the conversation starts. It's interesting that this call to being really, really intimate, this call to being really, very close, is an exit point for some people in their relationship with Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus tells his followers a fairly bizarre story. He says to his followers, unless you can eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't follow me. To somebody who doesn't understand the concept, that just sounds very weird. What is Jesus saying to those, to those people who are listening? It's a whole big group of people. He is saying, unless you are prepared to become involved in deep, sacrificial, intimate, dangerous relationships with God and with a few other human beings, you can't actually be my disciple. And after Jesus says that, it tells us that some of them left. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. They just, we can't do this. It's, it, it's too much. We, we want all the advantages of being a follower of Jesus, but we don't want the cost of being a follower of Jesus. It's too risky. I wonder how sad Jesus felt for those people. Because he loves people. But he, he, he watched people walk away. They just said, we can't. But others said something different. When this happens, Jesus turns to a group of his disciples and says, what about you guys? Are you going to do the same thing? And I love Peter's response. I love Peter so much because he's always the guy that opens his mouth and so I identify really strongly with him. But in John 6 verse 67, then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom should, would we go? If we leave you, where are we going to go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Hebrews, hold unswervingly to that. That's what it says in Hebrews. Hold unswervingly to that. That Jesus, if we don't have you, we have nothing. Because you have the words of eternal life. It's not an option for us. We can't go anywhere else. And if you say that the way we do it is, is like that, then that's what we have to do. No matter what it costs us. So, so how, practically, how does this work in a situation that, that you and I find ourselves in today? How did it work in Jesus' day? So in Hebrews, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So, so the, that's, the, that's the kind of, okay, how does this work now? There's so many things to say here. There's so many ways that this works. But I just want to focus on Five essential things that, that, that this dynamic results in with, with Jesus. Number one, find an inner circle. 
find an inner circle. The first part of the Gospels is Jesus doing something. He's going out there and he's calling people, join me in my circle. Join me in my circle. Now, now, the truth is, as you invite people into that circle, some of those people are going to betray you. You just need to know that. Some people will let you down. They did it to Jesus. They will do it to you. But it didn't stop Jesus doing it. Ask Jesus to help you choose the right people to do that with. And you know what? They're not going to stay the same through your whole life. Your life changes, people come and go, people move, all sorts of things happen, but, but, but do it and keep doing it, just like Jesus did. The, the second thing is that, that Jesus said to these people, you've got to commit sacrificial time together. You've just got to. You, we can't do this as a hobby. We can't do this as, a, as an add-on to our lives. Follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. Commit to sacrificial time together. Third thing is that Jesus agreed on a destination. Jesus said to his disciples, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Where I'm going is where God wants me to go. Where I'm going is to do what God wants me to do. Where I, how I live is the way my Father wants me to live. That's where I'm going. And so our destination is to become more like Jesus. Our destination is to share Jesus with the lost and hurting world. Our destination is to allow God to transform us. Number four, Jesus often talked about his, to his disciples about honesty. We have to be honest with each other if we're going to have these kind of relationships. It's just, honesty is non-negotiable. And Jesus asks them some terribly difficult things, you know. He, he, he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, you know, are you going there? I'm going there. Why are you talking to each other like that? What's happening? Honesty was was just fundamental to how Jesus had this relationship with each other. I'm going to talk about my group later on, but one of the things my group that I do this journey with is we we, we don't necessarily say we will tell everybody everything, but we do say we will never lie to each other. Sometimes you're in a a place where you can't tell somebody something, and then we just say that, I I can't talk about my marriage right now, or I can't talk about this, but I'm not going to lie to you about it. Honesty is non-negotiable. And then finally, a fifth essential here is expect pain. Expect pain. And there are going to be two kinds of pain here. The pain of betrayal, which we've talked a little bit about. People are going to betray you and it's going to be hard and it's going to hurt you. But then there's going to be the pain of when people are honest with you and they are right. Uh, That's the one I don't like. When your friend says to you, This is an issue. Here's a blind spot in your life. And you go, ah. And sometimes you look at your friend and then you walk away and you think, ah, they're this and they're this and they're this and they're this. And why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? Because you know that even though they are this and this and this and this, they are still right. And you are that. And that's painful. 
There is no transformation, folks, without pain. There is no individual transformation without pain. There is no church transformation without pain. There is no community transformation without pain. Jesus said that to us. And so those five essentials we must know, but we must still do it anyway. I want to end this idea of being one another's keepers with my own story, which is a part of my own story. Why I think every one of us should be in life-transforming conversations with other people. Over the last three or four years, I have met weekly, well, okay, theoretically weekly, with three other men. Now, we're all busy. They travel a lot. They're on business. But we committed Thursday mornings we get together. And we get together for an hour for one thing, to have conversations with each other about God, to have conversations with each other about our spiritual journeys. And, and sometimes we miss out. And sometimes it's just one of us. But, but we're, every Thursday, are you going to be there? And I want to tell you, that in the last three years, those conversations have carried me when nothing else would carry me. Sometimes I've walked away from those conversations going, whoa, I'm the worst pastor in the whole world. They've asked me questions that I don't know the answers to, or they've challenged me on things that I'm like, oh. But we keep coming back, and we keep saying, if it wasn't for this conversation, I wouldn't have known that about myself. If it wasn't for this moment, I wouldn't have been able to go there. My three brothers for the last two years have carried me spiritually in ways that I have never been carried ever in my life. Here's part of the pain. That group is busy breaking up for all sorts of reasons. None of them theological, I'm glad to say. But people move on and life changes. But here's what's exciting about it for me. That God has already started putting another group of people together for me to do that with. I wouldn't give it up for anything. Not because they are special. (laughs) They're incredibly ordinary. So am I. But why are we there? Because we understand that we are each other's keepers. We understand that Jesus has called every single one of us, not just to an intimate and deep relationship with Him, not just to a deep and intimate relationship with our families, not just to a deep and intimate relationship with the world, but God has called us to a deep and intimate relationship with a few people that will become our keepers. Not so that they can check up on all the bad things we do, but so that they can help us look a little bit more like Jesus than we did the day before and the day before that. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you to begin to pray. Say, God, show me those people. Begin to give me those people. And you know what's great about this? is You you don't actually have to start a new meeting. It, it, it may be in your life group. It may be with somebody you regularly, because they are a mate of yours, and you, it, it doesn't mean you have to start a whole new thing. It does mean you have to be intentional. You have to have specific kinds of conversations. You have to have a specific kind of relationship, just like Jesus did. Last week we handed out 
this, Life Transforming Conversation documents. Uh, if you haven't got one, please get hold of the church. We'll, we'll let you have one right away. Now, this isn't the Bible, okay? The Bible is the Bible. But this will help you begin to take those steps to say, I want to be my brother's keeper. Why? Because Jesus did it, and he told me to do it as well. Let me pray for you. God, thank you that you do not leave us alone in this world, ever. Lord, forgive all of us when we step away from those deep, intimate relationships that we know we need to have. When we resist being each other's keepers. Lord, thank you. Thank you that your goal is to transform us to become more and more like you. Thank you that you give us the equipment, the people, the tools. Lord, help us to, to commit ourselves unreservedly to that journey. Lord, we're just so grateful, so grateful that you are a God who leads and guides and transforms. And now, now, to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before his presence with great joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless every one of you and have a last transforming day.